Welcome to our newest season of Humane Podcast in 2021. Humane is your first look at the startups and industry titans that are leading and disrupting ML and AI, data science, developer tools, and technical education. I am your host, David Jakobovich, and this is Humane. If you like this episode, remember to subscribe and leave a review. Now, on to our show. Welcome back, everyone, to the Humane Podcast. Today, we are talking about the creative arts, generative design, the future of media, which has been capturing all of our attention in the COVID world. We have with us today on Humane Podcast, Asra Nadim, who is the co-founder of Opus AI. Asra has been involved in the tech industry for many years in Silicon Valley, working with startups, accelerating entrepreneurship, building products. And today, the media that we're all listening to, I think, is something at the heart of the product that she and her team are building. So Asra, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Thank you for having me. I am very excited to talk to you about all the exciting opportunities that are out there for us in the creative space. I love the creative space. You know, many of our listeners don't know this, but when I just got started in industry, I launched a film production company in Miami. I was working with Hope Living, Mix Mag, DJs like Armin Van Buren, and this was like the 2012-2013 era. Oh, wow. This is when people were still putting videos on these big racks in our apartments and the cloud wasn't really big yet. Mm -hmm. No, I totally hear you. I went to film TV school. I went to film school. I did my bachelor's in economics. I went to school for econ and mathematics and I got into business school and then I dropped out and went to film school. And my mother to date is devastated. You know, she's just like, what? What's your and, film school? <laughs> <laughs> so I grew up in Pakistan, and in Pakistan, um, a I'm the first girl in my family who went to college. So that itself was a very non-traditional event. And then the career paths are still like very, very like if you're you're the best son or daughter if you're studying engineering or you're a doctor or if you can't be an engineer or a doctor going to finance, but who goes into film or like creative fields. That's not how you make money. So in Pakistan, has it also gone through the Bollywood type craze or the industry is just not as big out there? It's not as big. So Bollywood is definitely very big. I mean, the industry is big in the sense that our TV industry is pretty big, but there has also been a lot of, so during the eighties or like before I was born, we went through this entire Islamization through one of the dictators and that really affected creative arts the most. And a lot of like mediums, especially creative mediums like television and film were heavily censored. And even to date, it's one of the most censored mediums. So it's not as big as Bollywood, but it's definitely interesting. And then also there's like segments of it. So there's segments of it that markets to the masses and then there's segments of it that markets to the diaspora etc so 
It's really interesting to think how the government has been behind so much of the creative arts, either flourishing or not. I had this lovely conversation recently with someone who's been involved with the Smithsonian Institute, and mm-hmm. the conversation was about should governments support the arts and should creative arts be something left to the hands of capitalism or just be able to thrive on its own merit? And as you're describing here, we're hearing about in Pakistan and the U.S., there's different markets, and of course, the U.S., we could see has been a contrast. And that's probably one of the reasons that you've grown your career out here and you've scaled it is because capitalism allows the creative arts to flourish. Mm -hmm. So we'd love to hear about that background of of what led you from film school to to scale uh, products and ventures in the creative space out here. Yeah, definitely. So I was still in film school when one of the guys who moved, he went to Stanford, wrote a couple of uh, patents for Intel early on, and then moved to Pakistan. And he was starting a tech company. And he was still in his garage. And I mean, garages are slightly fancier in Pakistan. When I say garage, it was like a nice house with like help and everything. But essentially, he was just, um, he was looking for somebody who spoke English to reply to um So he'd built like an initial product and he wanted somebody who spoke English to work weekends to just reply to customers who were coming up. It was a matchmaking website for Muslims. And this is before Facebook. So this is still in the Friendster MySpace era. And I was still in college and I was like, oh, yeah, I'll do it. Within two, I think two two or three weeks, I was like, yeah, you have no, this is not what your customers want. This is not the feature you should be building. And I was hired full time as a product manager. I had no idea what a product manager was. And um, my final thesis was delayed by a year. But that's kind of how I got into um, startups and technology. And even before that, I've always been a huge proponent of technology because one of the things that I truly believe is that there is no freedom of expression or any kind of freedom without financial freedom. And technology is a great enabler for that. And my first business was an e-commerce business off of MIRC. I'm like dating myself, but I essentially just had all these friends on MIRC who would buy things for me, send them to Pakistan, and I would sell them at a premium to kids in my college. And that's how I was the richest kid in college. But first gen, but the richest. I love that contrast. <laughs> yeah, I was it was it was interesting because right that really gave me this like so for me, technology is always I've never made friends like in person. All the friends that I know, all the people that I'm friends with, people that I've met, people who've given me jobs, people that I've hired are people that I've met online. I am horrible at making friends with people in person. I have two friends who've like outsourced meeting people to <laughs> so I mean, everyone... it's a different modality but at the end of the day an, an in-person conference an in-person creative event a digital conference a digital creative event mm-hmm. they're the same things but they by technology it's enabled because this digital event right you can do speed rounds a lot mm-hmm. quicker you can meet people you can learn so much more the information's augmented and not only that right i think it also to a large extent, evens the playing field in terms of access. So for somebody sitting in Pakistan or somebody sitting in any part of the world, I can, all I need is to be on a platform and I have access to some of the most brilliant minds in the world for free. I can learn from them. I can even interact with them now. Like previously, interaction was not an option, but you can interact with them now. And 
be a part of a more global discourse. But that's kind of how I got into technology. And then we obviously raised venture capital and grew that company, built one of the largest matchmaking websites for Muslims. And then we built a job website. And when I left, we were 150 people. And when I joined, we were four people. So I grew the product and revenue team. So that was my role there. And we raised money from uh, DFJ back in the day. And we raised money from um, ePlanet Venture. So like a whole bunch of old school venture capital firms. And then moved to Dubai. Was a part of a team that built online infrastructure for the government colleges in UAE and Saudi Arabia. And yeah, so my love for technology and what it brings has always been there. But at the same time, I'm also a huge fan of stories and games and content because I think that's how we learn, evolve and grow as a culture. And how does technology weave into that is a question that my co-founder and I have been debating for a very long time and are finally doing something about. So that's a brief intro by route of a few tangents here and there. I think it's great. And, you know, matchmaking is something we're always up to, especially now in the virtual world. What was the matchmaking venture that, that you were scaling the name of that startup? It was called Naseeb. And Naseeb is Arabic or Urdu word for destiny. And it was because in the Muslim culture, you can't technically date. A lot of it is driven. I mean, now everybody's seen that show on Netflix. Oh, is this real? We've seen the Netflix show. Uh, it is real. It's real. Okay. It is real. So mm. in my family, there are only two girls who got married to people that they had they knew before. It's all arranged marriages. You think it's um, changing? We're in 2020. It's a virtual world. Maybe we'll have some virtual marriages. Yeah, we have virtual marriages, but they're also arranged. Like we had Skype marriages with like people who some guy was living in Canada and the girl was living in Pakistan and they just got married on Skype. So <laughs> without meeting each other because the parents knew each other. So there's a lot of that. But interestingly, the youth or like people who are growing up in those communities, they want to meet other people, other individuals like themselves. And what we built into that was like this hot or not, but meets like journals where people could ask questions, write journals and really get to know each other. So it was like this good mix of like hot or not meets journaling. And a lot of people got married through that. And then Facebook came and completely killed it because it made it in the beginning, Facebook was very community driven. And there was like groups and pages where groups were a big on Facebook very early on. And a lot of the business was then driven to that in at least in the beginning. Yeah, that sounds a lot like uh, the modern day hinge meets Tinder a little bit as well. So but of course, still with that uh, predestination, right? So and you got involved very much there with product and that led to education, which is my, uh, my favorite area, right? So you mm -hmm. mentioned you were working there. And whether it's among universities or among students, I think education is the big enabler, which is what we've started out the conversation here with. We're both first generation. We're both self-learners, learning tech, scaling tech. Want to hear more from you, you know, uh, since you've been first generation. Yeah. What, what does education mean for you and how have you continued that path? So I am a huge fan of Socratic models of learning. I don't necessarily believe in this cartel 
like education cartels that we see around us, which are our universities and colleges. And I just don't mean like in the US, it's the same everywhere else in the world. And at this point, I think the only thing that colleges are good for is a visa. Like you get a student visa, it's like a great opportunity to immigrate to another country that has better job opportunities. But aside from that, there's very, um, I think one of the key skills that humans should learn, or if we learn early on, is extremely advantageous to us, is compounding. So compounding of our time and compounding of our resources, be those financial or our network. And there is no reason anymore why you can't start that early on. Skill-based education, uh, education is pretty much free right now. If you go online, if you have the right motivation to learn a skill, you can. And you can learn that skill for very cheap and build and test things. And I think, and also find a network. So you go to college for two or three reasons. You want to learn something. So internet makes that free, pretty much. You can go and learn things for free online. You want access to a network. You can build that network today. You can build that network on Quora or Twitter or Clubhouse. So your network is what you believe in, right? So these are people. So you can start building that, your Substack or anything that you're doing. You can build that network pretty much without paying or taking on that loan from someone. And the third thing that you go to college for is opportunity to get a job. And more and more jobs are moving towards people who can actually do the job and not people who have to be trained to do the job. And all the boring jobs are going to get automated or boring repetitive jobs are going to get automated. So that's where I think education is definitely a huge opportunity. And that's the model of education that I believe in. And the model is democratizing education. And I think it's so fascinating that you've mentioned this, uh, Ushra, that, you know, you and I, we've, we've gone to college, we've been first gen, but it sounds like we're both of a similar mindset of the belief in structural holes. And, and the belief of structural holes is this concept that, you know, social networks can be expanded. We can connect with each other. You and I have two different networks. Do we have to both go to Stanford for that? Mm-hmm. Or can we, you know, meet each other and, and then suddenly these networks expand and strong links and weak ties get built. And that's a world we're in today. We've seen companies like the Googles and the Apples of the world who say, oh, you know, we don't think you need a college degree to work here anymore. If you have the skills, you can build an iPhone app, you're hired at Apple. You can work in Java, you're hired at Google. So it's definitely a different world. And that world is crafting our narratives and stories as you've done. And that's what's led you to where you are today with your new venture. And your new venture, Opus AI, is building stories for the creative industry. Again, I'm such a big believer in this as someone who's used a lot of creative products myself, who's always crafting narratives on on shows. And, and I think this is a space that's a massive opportunity that has not been tapped into yet. Tell us more about Opus AI. Yeah. So with Opus, what we're building is this kind of going off of your example of democratizing education, how do you democratize content creation, right? We have on one end your YouTubes and TikToks that do a great job of that. But on the other end, your bigger mediums like film or gaming or those are still very bought into traditional tools and traditional methods of production. And today, for example, there are about half a million scripts that get written every year and only 0.2% of them get made into movies. 
And over like 700 games are started every quarter, but only two or three of them are completed. And a lot of that goes back to access, right? It's all about the tools that we have and the access to capital and production. And production decisions are made a lot of times by your advertising dollars or where your advertising dollars are coming from, which is why you see remake after remake, because it's harder to sell a new concept. So with that in mind, one of the things uh, we wanted to do was build a game that is smart and generates content and NPCs and challenges on its own. And one of the things we realized was that the problem with building any content is that how we create those the tools have not really changed over a very long time. So the engine that we're building today, what it does is that it takes any literary text and converts that into a movie. So as you're writing, it was raining outside. It was a dark night. The system generates a dark night with rain. And by just writing, and you can go back and say, no, it was day. And it would change the night to day. So it takes out that entire, so just how you have a no code, we've, how we've gotten to no code, we're now getting to no tools. So anyone who's a creative writer can go in, write a movie or build a game and distribute it to their audience. So it's really about access for stories. You know, we see that there's these big tools out there, you know, both for video and audio. You got the Final Cut Pros, the Premiere Pros, and of course, the bigger tools out there also like Maya and C4D and a lot of these After Effects, really advanced tools that can get very complicated just to get basic scenes. Right. And then the world moved in the last decade and a half into like a Unity and Unreal world where there were these engines and there were assets, but even then it takes a lot to run them. I mean, if you're someone who's building games in Unity, you might as well learn C-sharp. You might as well program it. But now we've seen the last few years, this new wave, as you've mentioned, we've seen this no code or low code wave, and that's been powered by potentially new breakthroughs like GPT-3 and other interesting automations. So it sounds like you're of the school of thought to open accessibility. So if, if I want to create Disney Plus is the Mandalorian with text, you're saying I will be able to do that in the future on Opus AI. Yes, you will. And a lot of it, you're right, goes back to the progress that we've made, especially with neural networks, with procedural design. And now we're at a point where some of these things might not be solved problems yet, but we at least know how to solve them. And it's more about computation, how much computation you throw at it versus not having the means or the know-how to do it. So we've made as humanity a lot of stride in the last 10 years. And I think we're going to see that convert more and more in the tools that allow us more accessibility to our creativity. And and I imagine in the the low code space of what your product does, you know, I can basically write phrases like sidewalks were littered with all drainage holes and suddenly the sidewalks appear. I'm not actually coding these sidewalks. I'm not coding the drainage holes. It's this low code or no code environment. And there's a lot of code that goes on behind the scenes to enable that. So I, I imagine as developers, your team is learning every day, you know, what are these different scenarios to enable us creating these stories. I I remember when, 
you know, the Amazon smart devices, uh, the Alexas and all those got started, there were so many phrases that were needed. So initially the product, it was getting started in that low code phase. And now we look fast forward five plus years, there's thousands of phrases. So I imagine similarly, your team is working on different phrases. What are some of your favorite examples of getting started on the platform? Yeah, definitely. A lot of these are, so for example, one of the things we learned is that when we were, a lot of this, you're right, we have to train each of these neural networks, because if you think about it from like a, if you take a step back and think about how it works, it's essentially we're replacing an entire genre of um, like asset designers with a neural network, right? So people who whose entire job is to design trees or like, you know, build these 3D models of trees, we're replacing them with a neural network. So a lot of this, but you also have to train things on the NLP side for the language to understand it. So every single time we would write the house or something, it would generate, it would not do what we wanted to do. And then we realized, oh, it house also means the white house or house also means like, you know, something else. So language has a lot of these nuances. And I think that's where one of the bigger challenges is, is like, how do you extract context out of what somebody's saying and build that? What's beautiful for me is like, I can say a beautiful girl and it might not be the same as what you think a beautiful girl is, right? So I think a lot of that personalization, how we've seen it happen with our products like Siri or Alexa, we'll see them happening more and more with products like Opus as well. But we're still we're still like a year or two years out of that happening. Yeah. And I'm sure there's a big product pipeline as yourself being someone who builds products. You know, today it sounds like the the first versions are very much the NLP, the text generation of then uh, generating these these assets that maybe you have a, a team that's generating them, but perhaps over time it's to be more auto-generated or custom-generated, or some of that might be occurring today. So if I say green fence, red fence, you know, do these assets all exist or some of them are being generated by your engine today? So the assets that we're generating right now are all generated by the engine. But what we're generating today is we can do camera angles. So you can generate, like because each one of these is like layers of engineering and automation. So it can do camera angles. It can do seasons, time of the day. So season, weather, flora, fauna, which is your trees and plants. And it can do terrains and uh, water bodies, humans. So basic human characters like girl, boy, man, woman, child. It also can do like robots and androids and things like that. So right now it's like more specific for like sci-fi or fan fiction as like a first genre of what we can generate with it. I love it so much because uh, Astro, what I'm thinking about is from a storyboarding perspective with education and videos and scripting. A lot of bringing a story to life is just getting it on the screen. And, you know, right now it can be that tool to enable digital natives who who may not have that coding experience. I love it. And, and I'm excited to see where it goes. You know, there's so much to generate. What part of it's for you as a product leader the most exciting? Are you most excited about you know, the audio, the text, the engine, the video, the generation, what part's like really exciting for you at Opus? So I think for me, it's the 
potential of what's possible, right? So I come from a very, I think most of us come from very story-driven cultures where like our grandmothers or our aunts have told us these stories that are kind of handed off generation to generation. And there's a lot of good literature that has been written before that's just sitting there with no potential to ever be made into movies or for the newer generation to have access to or for a more global audience to have access to. And for me, I think that potential is the most exciting part. For my team members, it's definitely the technological progress or the automation of like the leaps and bounds of automation that goes into it. For them, that's most exciting. So I think all of us wake up for different reasons. But for me, it's definitely the potential to be able to tell stories that I grew up on or tell or hear stories that other people grew up on in a medium that's more globally accessible and understandable. I think it's fantastic. I've seen uh, different startups in different industries say, hey, can we democratize music creation? And so similarly, you're democratizing video creation. And I can totally see a day, you know, whether that day is in 2020 or 2021, where I could be creating TikTok videos based on Opus AI technology. So it'd be super cool and, and really excited to hear about that. You know, I think what's so fascinating is basically generative design is coming of age. It's been available for a long time in enterprises. You see big, massive companies like Autodesk and large enterprises that use generative design for manufacturing and simulations, or it previously was captured under the hood by Pixar, but now it's being opened up. And I'm a big proponent of open source technology. Sounds like open source technology is also... Um, some of the the reason behind why Opus AI is possible today. Yeah, definitely. And not only that, I think we stand on the shoulders of giants, right? As like, as a civilization. And the fact that a lot of what we have been able to do today is because Google open sourced a lot of their initial research and work, especially with NLP. So definitely a huge fan of uh, open source here as well. And so it really sounds like what you're building is using AI to boost creativity, right? Anything's possible, accessible, new types of film will be generated and created that we've never seen before. And mm -hmm. creativity generates potentially something else, potentially new jobs. You know, we're in a, a golden age of digital media creation and generation as a society where our consumption of digital media only continues to grow, which means that opportunity for new jobs could exist. What do you see as potentially some new jobs or new markets that might be created in the future? Yeah, I think we're just at the beginning of this huge, you know, like the mountain that we can all climb together. So let's talk about one market, right? Your VR market or AR market. The reason it's like, it hasn't been able to grow exponentially or like grow fast is definitely there was some restrictions with hardware, but also designing content for it is still very expensive. So once you start designing these 3D worlds that are faster to design and not only faster to design, you can also edit them in runtime and personalize and customize that in runtime, that itself opens up a whole new world of opportunities. It opens up new 
opportunities for advertising, new opportunities for content creation, new opportunities for entertainment. And we're already seeing that in multiple different aspects. And with AR, same thing. We have, we're just scratching the surface of like augmented concerts, etc. But the experiences that we can create and the fact that now your creators can also financially benefit from their creativity. So you're creating more options for creators to, they no longer need to have a day job. They can literally do this and become rich. So that democratization that YouTube or TikTok has offered, that goes on to a much massive audience that way. And then the type of content that we can create, right? So right now for a film to be made, it needs to have X million of people as its potential audience. But what if there's only 10,000 people in the world who want to watch it? Why can't we make something for those 10,000 people? And I think would those 10,000 people pay more money? Potentially. So a lot of those questions, we don't even, we haven't even started answering yet, but I think that's what ex- what's exciting. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, oh, today I'm going to be very excited about doing this repetitive job again. Humans, like one of the best things about us is our imagination and our creativity. And I think that's where tools and AI would really help us. Yeah, and that, you know, creative art doesn't have to be an alternative career. As you mentioned, creators can start making a living. We've seen whether it's from platforms like TikTok and in the audio space, but now soon to be the video space. Mm-hmm. You can use different tools. You can use tools like Opus AI. You can use tools for design like Figma or Frame, depending what you're building, to start having that career that's a digital first career, a digital native career. And I think there's going to be so many industries that your software is applicable for, right? It could be like science fiction writing. It could be for game design, game development. Could be, again, building Star Wars, The Mandalorian. I mean, it's it's the show that I'm just loving this year. It's kept me sane during COVID, I'll tell you that. What's some of the use cases that you're excited for? You're starting to see some of these, these early prototypes that your beta users are, are excited to see what they can create with your product. Yeah, so we are sticking with um, definitely short videos and serialized content to begin with, but then things that we can experiment with or things that we do want to experiment with in the future, like five years down the line or four to five years down the line, is gaming. It's um, also some sort of marketplace because what if you can just sell your dance steps online and those dance steps can be used by multiple characters within film there's a lot of things that you can do within the space that are exciting Um, marketplaces content marketplaces voiceover marketplaces all of these things are possible and I think that to me is the most exciting thing is that we can start generating a lot more interesting content because stories are what sell and we all are attracted to stories. So how do you democratize telling those stories and make it possible for people to make a living through those? And who ultimately creates stories, right? Is stories created by the machines? Are they created by the humans? Are they created by humans and the machines? I think we're... Stories are created by humans, right? There is no match for human creativity. Human creativity and curiosity is what got us out of caves and got us to where it's going to get us to space, right? 
and this you know this inherent desire to explore new places or explore new worlds that's something that's very uniquely human and i don't think that's like replicable by a machine yeah, it might not be. It's just that the machine's going to create all these synthetic designs and scenarios, but that there is that creative element that the humans bring up. And so these these jobs, you know, I think many people this year and next year in the creative industry are looking for new opportunity. They're looking to reskill. They're looking to upskill. Maybe that's with code or maybe that's with different platforms. What advice would you give to creative professionals who are looking to stay building, stay making, stay creating now? I would say explore platforms. There are a lot more opportunities to not only put your content in front of different audiences, but also monetize it now. And finding that niche is a lot easier today. And then there's not just one medium that you have to stick to, right? If you're finding a niche around something, you can build multi-product brand around it. There's also like a big uptick in virtual influencers. So if your brand is like, let's say, crime thrillers, there is no end to what you can do with it. You can do podcasts with it. You can have virtual, you know, series with it. You can have virtual influencers that are big in it. You can start conversations about it on multiple levels. You can start a newsletter about it. So there is just I would say explore the options that technology and platforms provide to really scale your art form and don't get stuck in one particular form of expression. You know, I think it goes full circle thinking back to MIRC and conversations that used to be online. I mean, the top 50 true crime podcasts of 2020, right? Everyone's having these conversations and they might have used to be in this interactive relay and this chat. And now it's just a different medium. And that's the thing that creatives need to know is that when they're scaling their love and passion for the arts and design, that you could be making a world-class product, but if you don't have product market fit, you need to see how you can get that and iterate. And that means try different platforms, maybe be mm-hmm. that virtual influencer on TikTok or, or other places that you can get discovered. I know there was the big documentary out on Hulu uh, that perhaps many of our listeners have seen called Jawline, which was talking about these uh, influencers who were like the teens and tweens who follow the story of two of them, one who became really successful and one who just didn't make it just yet. And what sticks with me for that creative is the persistence wasn't there. That person, you know, gave up. They stopped, you know, producing. They stopped exploring platforms. And I think if you got that hustle and that drive, I've seen a lot of creatives who you look five, 10 years down the road and wow, they're doing this now. Yeah, that's because they keep making, keep creating, keep building with that creativity. Yeah. And the thing is that I think one thing that a lot of, at least, so my, a lot of my siblings or cousins are in the creative arts. And one of the conversations we have with them the most often is how they don't understand that these network effects are built into platforms. 
platforms want to get you in front of as many people because that's how they derive like you know ad revenues or eyeballs and at the same time that's a great opportunity for you to monetize it so all you have to do is figure out what is that one or two trends like that product market fit and then that platform creator fit that's working for you i know people who are now making more money on facebook than YouTube creators and with the same amount of following. I think try to monetize as soon as possible, which is the same as what you would say to a startup, right? Try to figure out who's going to pay for it very, very fast. And same goes for creators. If you try to figure out who's going to pay for your creative art, whether it's writing, whether it's you know dancing or whatever it is, who's going to pay for it? And once you figure that out, grow on that particular platform or medium you know this is some of the best advice to our listeners um what you've just shared i mean what ushra just said is about monetizing as soon as possible it's so critical there's this data startup that i advise and one of the founders recently spoke to me they said david i got this big problem i got all these clients and companies who want to give us money and i said great where's the money and, and they said well they haven't closed just yet i said okay well you know, if you're trying to think about which way to go, get the money, get the pipeline, get that client. And, and that might be the direction. I know you have all these brilliant, amazing stories, but if people aren't willing to follow along with your vision, with, with your love and creativity, then, then it, it may not be big enough. And it doesn't have to be big enough. I think like what you've described today with, with Opus is you could have your 10,000 true fans and actually be making a good living but you have to get up there. You got to be creating and pushing content. And what I share to listeners, especially during these times where they've been living a digital only life is to know that you should still continue with your goals. You can still continue with your projects and launch new work, be willing to try new things because the world is still moving on. It's in a different experience than we typically know. And consider that an opportunity, an opportunity to reinvent yourself, to try new technology, and to show that you as a human, you can be part of that new wave. This new wave is always changing. The new wave might be the second or third or fourth industrial revolution. But we know that we're continuing to move forward into a world that could be without code, could be no code, low code. With everything that you're building, everything that you're doing today, Astra, uh, at Opus and what you've seen in the industry, what's a call to action you have for our listeners who are tuning in here? So before I go into my call for action, can I quickly comment on what you were saying before? Oh, please. Absolutely. So there is a really good framework that I personally really like, which is... so. If you are somebody who's creative, this expectation that you're always going to be in that creative zone is actually false. So John Cleesey actually has a really good framework for it. He's the guy who did all the um, some Monty Python guy. Monty Python. Yeah. So John Cleese has a really good framework for it. And that framework is that and how you start, and this is kind of how I started as well very early on, is you lock yourself in a place, in a room or wherever. I mean, not like lock yourself, but just like, you know, put your phone away and just concentrate. Give yourself that one or two hours 
of creative space. And that is your time to think about everything. Think about how you're going to change the world. Think about, you know, all the big projects, small projects, everything that you have to do. And it's really hard to do in the beginning, but that's it. That two hours is the only time you can think about what you are going to do. And then the rest of the time, you actually go out and do it. So harnessing your, like that creative muscle, but then it's like you have to build some sort of discipline into it where you can go in and out of that creative zone. So you have a creative zone and then you have a productive zone. And these two are extremely different phases of mind. So like Kanye West does it. He can do an album over a weekend. And that's being in that productive zone where you've already thought about what you're going to produce and then you just get to work and produce it. So I think building that muscle is extremely important. So when you think that, you know, how do I do it? That's a great framework that works for me really well. And I would highly recommend it. Yeah. And I think that uh, work that you just said with John Cleese, who's both the Monty Python and the Harry Potter guy, he was headless Nick in the Harry Potter mm-hmm. movies. So, and, you know, he, he even showed that creative muscle, right? I mean, I think he was in the Harry Potter movies when he was well over 60 years old, still going at it, still kicking, even as a ghost. And so you can always have that creative muscle. You can always be hyper-focused, hyper-aware to create that sense of urgency and passion. And so, again, thinking, taking this all in as technologists, as creatives, what's next? What would you recommend for our humane listeners? Yeah, so go out there, be your best self. This is our only life. And if any of you is interested, we are hiring and you can find the jobs that are open on our website, opus.ai. And we're also fundraising. So if this is something that you're interested in seeing, happy to talk to you. But more than that, we're hiring and we're looking for people who want to exercise both their creative and technical muscle. Asra Nadim from Opus AI, looking to build the future of creative arts. Uh, Loved having you on the show today. And thanks for sharing your story with the Humane listeners. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Humane Podcast. Did the episode measure up to your thoughts on ML and AI, data science, developer tools, and technical education? Share your thoughts with me at humanepodcast.com forward slash contact. Remember to share this episode with a friend, subscribe and leave a review, and listen for more episodes of Humane.